From our local high schools to the pros, the Dallas Morning News has got North Texas sports covered, and it's more than just the scores. From all the off-season moves to in-season adjustments and maybe even postseason glory, the DMN has got the inside scoop on your favorite teams, players, and coaches. You can follow every goal, save, bucket, and touchdown as the Dallas Morning News delivers real local sports journalism from the press box and locker room straight to your inbox. As soon as the podcast is over, head to dallasnews.com sports to see what Brad Townsend, Callie Kaplan, and the rest of the DMN gang has for you there. Hello and welcome to Mavs Daily, where every day of the week we're breaking down a question, event, news, or trend having to do with the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Bobby Carella. I am from Mavs Digital and more recently, the Lexus Club. And joining me today is a guy who is right up there with me, but I don't know, like 100 feet away or something. They got us really spaced out up there in a responsible and safe fashion. It is the great Isaac Harris. Isaac, how was it to be at the arena last night? There is just something special about walking in the AAC, and I don't want to come across as this like, hey, we were the only only few people because that kind Flexing of feel bad. Five seconds <laughs> into the show, nice, <laughs> nice, nice. Because I really feel bad for fans who have season tickets they couldn't go and are dealing with all the issues with you know streaming and stuff right now. But if you need a streaming service, go to AT and T now and sign up. Uh, if you need to watch Mavs games. So, I love you so much, Isaac. <laughs> um, but man, it there was the same feeling was there because we were watching Mavs basketball. But then again, it was so weird too because the MFFLs just make the whole atmosphere of the arena, and you know the players miss the fans so much, and the piped-in noise, the Sean Heath still talking, all of that like brought a sense of normal to it, I guess, but. We're still missing the fans, no matter how much Sint Marshall and Mark Cuban yelled from the stands in front row. Dude, Sint was loving it. I she was, was. She was pumping me up. Like, honestly, she gives the players all the motivation that they need, really. I mean, she she is 20,000 people packed into one. She's got that much energy. But especially for the preseason, like, that's an opportunity for a lot of fans who maybe, like, can't afford to go to a regular season game or they can't get season tickets so they don't even have access to go to those games that they wanted to. So many people can go to preseason games who can't go to regular season games, and so it's like a special moment for them, you know, or like it's cheaper to sit downstairs so they get a better seat. And so those are kind of the yeah. opportunities that we're missing out on, um, that fans are missing out on. But obviously, I mean, it's all for the right reasons. We can't, you know, the, it's just it's not time yet. But um, media, media had to – you had to be on your guard because they could only put so many people on the jumbotron and uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> a, a decent amount of uh, media people tim cato supporting the the long hair uh lazelle and becca and them had some uh time dancing on the jumbotron that was a lot of fun and Dwayne with the face shield oh yeah the last but not least cam Dwayne price ultimate legend all the different cams they had they had a dog cam showing the police dog and uh, all these different cameraman cam. I, I thought it was uh, it was a lot of fun for the people who were in there, but I, I understand it was weird and the piped in noise was was different, and I think it probably brought a sense of normal to the players too. But it was so weird seeing it, and I wonder how it was on the broadcast. I haven't got to rewatch it on the broadcast, so I, I wonder the volume and just how it sounded to people watching on the broadcast. Yeah, according to Twitter, people could hear it on the broadcast, but I don't know if it was as loud as a normal crowd or whatever. I know, like, late in games, that place gets super loud. Um, 
fans really get into it, especially, I mean, in a close game with the game on the line and stuff like that. Like last night, for example, you know, came down to a couple last second shots. Uh, Boban, unfortunately, missed the game winner in the closing oh. seconds. Otherwise, like we would have had to just cancel the league. <laughs> if you'd have made that three. <laughs> really nice play. Design. I know that, you know, I, I know I recognize all the factors at play, but Pretty cool play design by Rick Carlisle to get Boban a wide open three at the buzzer. And I know it's Boban, so they're probably not going to guard him at the, at the three point line. But with the game on the line, I mean, like he still got open, so uh, pretty interesting stuff. But yeah, the, the Mavs do fall one twenty nine, one twenty seven in the first game played at American Airlines Center since Boban basically like ended the season back in March. So cool full full circle moment. It'll be the only time they're at American Airlines Center until December thirtieth. They come home for the home opener against the Charlotte Hornets. And then they also play on New Year's Day, I think, against the Heat before going back on the road again. So most of December and January is going to be on the road. So uh, we really won't get like a a real good peek at how these games are going to be run probably until like February. And by then, who knows, maybe maybe fans will be able to come to the game and it'll be a little more normal now that the vaccine is out and everything. But but we'll see. Isaac and I are no epidemiologists or anything (laughs) Uh, we're just two guys on the internet. I so, was going to say that that could be a small, small, if you're looking for advantages, that could be a small, small advantage to the Mavericks schedule that in a time to where we're looking at probably no fans in the arena, that's when they're on the road to where if you're hoping that Mavs, you know, our fans are going to be allowed back in the arena later on, maybe it starts when the Mavericks home stretch happens and it's like a lot of their home games, they actually do have fans. So that could be a small, small thing, but we don't know the full timetable. That is some five dimensional chess by the Mavs <laughs> to say like, no, don't book us in January. Hold off yeah. till February. Um, so the Mavs, like we said, they lose 129, 127. They led by 15 after the third quarter. And then it was basically battle of the backups for most of the fourth quarter I think Minnesota kept their starters in a little longer than the Mavs or like Carl Towns was out for a lot of the third quarter because he was in foul trouble he ended up coming back in and playing a little bit in the fourth I I believe Um, ended up playing 27 minutes tied for the most in the game Uh, anyway Minnesota is able to come back and uh, tie it up late in the game and then we go to overtime where they were able to win but uh, the Dallas starters were pretty dominant. Uh, each of Dorian Finney-Smith, Josh Richardson, and Luka Doncic were all plus 21 or better. Tim Hardaway was plus 14. Dwight Powell was plus 8. Maxi Kleba plus 5. And so um, pretty much your top-line guys were able to to handle the Wolves pretty convincingly. So overall, pretty promising preseason uh, for the Mavs, I think. You know, I don't want to talk too much about any one game. Like yesterday uh, or two days ago, we had Eddie on and talked about both Milwaukee games. Um, you know, because it's it's preseason, you don't want to look too closely at anything because there's a whole lot of stuff going on. But Isaac, generally, uh, before we move on, and we are going to hit the the GM survey too after this. So before we move on to that, uh, what's kind of like your overarching take from last night and from the preseason, and kind of like your your big picture thoughts on what we've seen? Yeah, I think you know the biggest storyline for me for the Mavericks coming out of the preseason would be just how well Josh Richardson fits. And I mean, you assumed it and you thought like, you know, when the deal happened, like, yeah, this is going to be a natural fit, but just to see how well he he shot the ball. I mean, he hit another three threes, you know, last night uh, in that game, he shoot, he shot in preseason in these three games that, you know, they've only played three games, obviously, 
but he shot 62% from the field, 73% from the three-point line. I know it's something that, you know, you can't really maintain a 70% uh, three-point percentage, but I think he was, what, 8 of 11, maybe? I could be wrong on that uh, as far as total threes for the preseason. But I just... Everything that you imagine about Richardson fitting on this team and fitting alongside Luka Doncic and then hearing all about the off the court stuff and the chemistry and how, you know, him and Luka already bonding and just, it just seems like that fit is a perfect puzzle piece fit for Josh Richardson in Dallas. And so for me, that that's my biggest takeaway from the preseason that he's already ahead of, if we want to say all ahead of schedule, I guess. And just the, his role in Philly and, you know, his shooting numbers, all of that, just to see in three short games in Dallas that, man, this looks like a completely different role and vibe and everything for him. So I'm just happy for him. I'm also happy for the Mavericks. Yeah, I mean, he could really uh, – he does different things. So, like, Tim Hardaway Jr. is like a flamethrower, right? If, if he has the ball, you figure that he's probably going to, you know, put a shot up or drive, you know, shoot from the, the perimeter or attack the basket – but Richardson gives them kind of a combination of a guy who can play off Luka as a shooter or a cutter or whatever, or as a playmaker. I mean, we saw he had three assists last night, but we saw him make some really nice plays in Milwaukee as well. So he can get going downhill, and a lot of his assists in Miami, back you know before he played in Philly, he was in Miami for a few years, a lot of his assists in Miami were kind of attack the basket, you know, drive baseline, and then just keep your head up, keep your dribble alive, and find someone who's open, you know, and, and guys respond to that sort of penetration. If you see your teammate drive the lane, then you're going to relocate in the corner, or you're going to cut to the basket too, and, and kind of as like this secondary guy who's just throwing himself at the rim, and that type of like movement and just like chaos that that can create can really open things up for other people because – you know, I don't want to. I don't want to rag too much on Seth Curry, but with uh, Curry in the lineup instead of Richardson, like Curry was much more similar to a guy like Tim Hardaway. Like he's gonna yeah. dribble and kind of create his shot, and there is value in having guys who can create their own shot. Like, believe me, that was a huge problem for Dallas before Curry became a starter. But you need another guy who can kind of break down the defense. I mean, that's why that's why I was so excited when they got DeLon Wright last year because he can kind of do that as well, but it just wasn't as good of a fit with Luka as Richardson appears to be. And so, uh, you know, that kind of just like that other guy who can get to the basket. You know, and we saw even Dwight Powell drive to the basket quite a bit. And Dorian had a couple drives and, and finishes too. And so you have to be able to do more than just catch and shoot. You have to be able to do more than just create your own shot. If you can put the ball on the floor and get to the rim and then, you know, ideally create for other people as well, then that's where you can really find yourself as like a, a top tier compliment to a guy like Luca. And I feel like every Mav kind of made a concerted effort to do that. And uh, hopefully that remains the case because 43s is cool, but getting to the basket a lot is really cool too. And if you can do both of those things, then you're going to be a really, really, really good offense. Yeah, and I mean, that's the biggest thing about Dorian's game since day one, you know, that he came in as an undrafted guy. You know, he was working on his shot and stuff a lot, but I think his ability to put it on the floor is, is the biggest difference that we've seen over the course of, what, four or five years he's been in Dallas now, however long that's been. But I also want to mention, uh, give a shout out to Tim Hardaway too, because I know some fans were like, 
was that a one hit wonder? 40% from a three, you know, it, he starts all the first couple of games, a little rocky, a little bit from, from distance, but he comes out tonight uh, or against, you know, Minnesota at home and goes four or five from, from three point. He ends up shooting 44% from three, you know, from the three in the preseason, uh, after three games. And I just want to be like, Hey, calm down. Like it's, it, I don't think it was a one, one hit wonder of one year, 40%. Um, let's give Tim, yeah, the benefit of doubt that he sustained that for a whole season. So I think he'll be fine, especially playing alongside Luca once KP gets back in there too. So uh, I like, I loved his, I mean, he had what, eight of the first, how many ever points last night for the Mavericks uh, against Minnesota? He was uh, feeling it early. So yeah, good for Tim. Yep. And then the last thing, uh, I, I, I want to talk about the GM survey because there's some interesting stuff in there. But the last thing is I know like the the big debate right now is who should be the starting center between Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleba. And the answer is Chris Abs Porzingis. So like it's a very it's just a weird conversation because KP is gonna be back in I don't know like two weeks or something and like it, hey no he warmed would, up with the team you know yeah I mean he I, was I on the floor cool and like see. he like practices and stuff like it's just it's such a non deal but of course that's easy for me to say because you know whatever I'm a step removed from this whole thing I guess but um, how about for your first three games back in the preseason from a torn Achilles, you're having to guard Giannis and Carl Towns. Like, Ooh, yeah. <laughs> like that's a pretty tough ask of of uh, Dwight. And and in in fairness, I mean, Towns got his last night. Towns beat Powell up a couple times, but he's also like an All Star and All NBA caliber big man. And Giannis is the yeah. two time MVP. And so if you only look at the plays where the guy got scored on, then yeah, you're gonna think that he's a bum. But uh, Dwight Powell is like, you know, kind of like the leader of the team, a guy everybody respects. And I know those qualities don't make you a good starter, but also more importantly, uh, he is probably the best pick and roll partner that Luca's ever had. So, uh, that is kind of a, that's, that's a huge reason why you like this entire roster is, cons we just talked about it with Josh Richardson. Every single player on this team is in the role that they're in specifically because they are good playing with Luca. And if you are yeah. maybe not as compatible with Luca, then you're going to come off the bench and be your own thing. Like the Jalen Brunson, Trey Burke, second unit last night wasn't their best night. But in Milwaukee, both times they were able to just pound the Bucks and they beat down their starters in those games, too. And so uh, each kind of unit that the Mavs roll out, and this has been the case forever. I mean, we saw it the same way with Dirk. Like whenever you have your one central, like generational talent type of guy, everybody on the team is supposed to be compatible with that player and there's really there's probably no one on this roster that is more suited to play with Luca than Powell and how will that change when Porzingis comes back well I think Powell will come off the bench and so who knows maybe Luca will play with the second unit like he did a little bit last year uh, maybe Powell will just go with Brunson and Burke and and try and figure it out with them um, but that's the that's just how it's going to be and uh he was also that, plus eight the, in that game, and he scored a bunch of points on Towns, and uh, it was just it was good times had by all. So uh, I really don't get it, but I mean his on-off numbers have been positive for the last three years. Even when the team was lousy, uh, the offense last year, whenever he was on the floor, was even better than like their number one offense of all time. They were even better when he was on the floor, and um, yeah, I mean if you just watch highlights of guys getting scored on, then you're gonna think that they suck. But Dwight Powell is actually really good, so that's all I have to say I, about it, Isaac. <laughs> I think Bobby goes door to door asking people, "Hey, can I tell you about the gospel of Dwight Powell?" Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm the captain of the president of the fan club, yeah, for sure. I will say, I will say this about Powell that you mentioned with the the pick and roll stuff. I think it's important to to 
throw out there because I, I agree. I think he is his strengths are maximized when he's in the pick and roll situation. And Luca's literally like one of the best pick and roll guys in the whole league. So if you take Powell and you put him on the bench, then you're asking Brunson to kind of or, or Trey Burke to pick up that pick and roll and can they run it at the same effectiveness as you know as Luca to where we don't have a three years ago JJ Barea who is coming off the bench and you're like all right well JJ's literally one of the best to you know play a pick and roll and it's like all right well cool JJ can run pick and roll with Dwight off the bench well you don't have JJ anymore so I I, I agree I think to bring out the best in Dwight Luca is running that pick and roll with him. Uh, I do like what Maxi brings on the floor defensively at times and Maxi's ability to shoot the three. But like you said, I don't think it's that big of a deal because when KP comes back, he's your starting five. So, and to close games, KP is going to be your starting five too. So yeah. The- well, and, and two more things. So I'm glad you brought up the JJ thing. So in 2017, 18, the year before the Mavs drafted Luca, like it was Dennis's rookie year. The J.J. Dwight Powell pick and roll was almost so good that it, like, cost the Mavs wins. Like, they won yeah. games and made fans yeah. mad because they were so good. And then last year, at the start of the year, the Luka Dwight pick and roll was so good that KP became a spot-up shooter. Like, because they <laughs> And scored. everybody was like, are they making him Clay Thompson? Yeah, I mean, like, they li- they scored literally every time Lu- the Powell set a screen for Luka. Like, the, the numbers are just, like, insane. Like, they averaged, like, 1.5 points per possession when Dwight set a screen for Luca for like months. I mean, they were so good. So anyway, dude's three games back preseason from an Achilles injury and, and Twitter's yeah. like having a, a meltdown. So it's <laughs> basketball's back, baby. We're excited. Yes, it is. Um, all right. So let's move on to, um, let's move on to, I know that sounded really condescending, but it, I mean, it's just like, what are we, what are we doing here? Um, okay. <laughs> let's move on to the GM survey. So I want to hit on the Mavs specific stuff. Like I want to skip over like, you know, rookie of the year projections and stuff because like there's no Nate Hinton love in there, which is just outrageous to me, but they, the GMs just don't see it. So uh, we got to skip over that. But uh, most importantly, uh, the GMs predict the Mavs to finish fourth in the West, or I guess tied for fourth or something. I don't really know how it works. Uh, Well, I guess they received more third place votes than Portland. So uh, Dallas got the fourth most votes in the West. So, uh, GMs are pretty high on the Mavs and then they're pretty high on Luca too. They picked him second in MVP behind only Giannis. Uh, they picked him as the third best point guard and the tied for the second best shooting guard. Uh, they picked him as one of the most versatile players, Isaac as well, which matters. And mm-hmm. he's finished, um, second in best international player voting, behind Giannis so a lot of love for Luca and a lot of love for the Mavs which just makes my heart just you know beat at a million miles an hour yeah I, th- I think the standing one is, the standings one is so uh interesting because you I love seeing how teams across the league view them I mean I, and seeing other people outside of Dallas how they view them because I mean we're going to be biased, obviously, because uh, we love the Mavs and we see them play all the time. And just to see other GMs recognize that this team is going to take a step or they expect them to take a step and to move into that four or five, somewhere uh, that range through there. I thought that was really cool. Uh, the Lucas stuff, uh, I thought one that was uh, interesting, him and Giannis both tied for the if you're starting a franchise question and you can sign any player, uh, him and Giannis tied for that at 43%. It's you know, this, I feel like how many of these polls we saw just Luca Giannis 
interchange, you know, between uh, two of the spots, the MVP thing, which you, you guys can go back through Mavs daily and find an old pod. We did a uh, gosh, I don't know, a month or so ago, Bobby and I went through the MVP odds and who we thought could be MVP, other challengers to Luca and the whole thing with Giannis, even though he like led this GM vote is like, that would be three times in a row for Giannis to win this award. And I don't know, will there be some voter fatigue? How many times in history has this happened? We talked about that on the pod when the last time that that happened, it was a long time ago. Um, so will Milwaukee be as good? I mean, cause that, I know. that matters too, you know, it does. Yeah. Will they be as good? Will will Dallas have a record that uh, is suitable enough for the MVP? You know, normally that MVP uh, winner comes from a team that's, you know, one or two in the conference. If Dallas finishes fourth, like the GMs project, and Luka has a crazy stat line, a near triple-double, will that be enough? Will, the, will that amount of wins be enough to win him the MVP? Uh, I'll be really interested to see that. Here's a question for you. So last year, they finished, what, like five games behind the Clippers or six games behind the Clippers? I don't know. I, I, I don't want to speak out of uh, – I'm just doing yeah, it was some – cla- It was something like five or though. I'm doing some classic stalling. Uh, I don't want to see preseason standings, ESPN. <laughs> like, who, who wants to see that? Uh, last year they finished, okay, so seven and a half games behind the Clippers and four games behind the Nuggets who finished third. So last year they finished, what, 17 and 24 in uh, mm-hmm. in clutch games. If they would have finished 24 and 17, which I know is like, that's a huge improvement, but a lot of those games were like, just total giveaways you know much to the chagrin of everyone if they would have managed to win seven more of those and finish half game out of third out of second I mean does Luca win MVP last season with his same numbers or would they have still gone with Giannis I think they would have still went with Giannis just because they won like what 60 games yeah I think they won Oh no! I guess it was the year before is sixty two because I didn't finish out. What? Are, yeah, they they were just so dominant uh, on both ends of the floor. I mean, Giannis went in Defensive Player of the Year. They had what the number one or number three defense in the, in the league. Number one by far, uh, yeah. Okay, number one, and you know they were top five or at least top ten offense too, and number one in their conference. So I think they would have still given it to Giannis. But I mean, he would have averaged what twenty eight nine and nine or twenty nine nine and eight or whatever his numbers were, and they would have yeah. been like this team coming out of nowhere, you know, right up there with the the Lakers and the Clippers, and I don't know, the narrative would have been good. But yeah, that's that's the thing too. Like the narrative is such a, a driving force behind this. But yeah, I don't think like unless Milwaukee goes undefeated or something, I just don't see Giannis winning it again. Even if he's know. even if his numbers are somehow even better than they were last year, which was like historically good. He had like the best PER of all time and I know no one cares about that but like he was just a stats machine last season and they won a bajillion games so I mean maybe but I, it feels like I don't know it feels to me like it's gonna be Luca, but he's gotta show it too like last night he was six for 18 so you know he's gotta yeah. he's gotta you know have some good games as well but uh, the, the two the two names I mentioned on that pod a while back and I'll say now that the two names I'm watching the most is Damian Lillard and Nikola Jokic. Because I think both of those teams, I think both of those guys are the clear front runners like for their team and best players on their team to where if their team is, you know, top three in the West or they finish with a better record than, you know, let's say Portland finishes with a better record than Dallas and they're like two or three in the West and Lillard averages like 32 a game. 
or 33 a game or something like that. And it's like something crazy. I could see him getting a lot of love for that. Or Jokic averages a triple double and Denver is like one or two, uh, you know, in the West and stuff. So I, those are two guys, AD LeBron. I think they'll cancel each other out. I don't know about, you know, Durant and those guys voter fatigue for Giannis. So uh, those are two guys I'm watching though with that race. Yeah. I think Portland could, they could like finish top four. Maybe I'm too high on them, but I thought they had uh, I'm, an awesome I'm really high season. On them. Yeah. Yeah, they had an yeah. awesome – and, of course, you know, they, they were great in the bubble. I mean, they were so beaten down by injuries last year, and they still hovered around 500 in the West. So, uh, we'll see. But it, it's going to be – I don't know. It's going to be weird, man. Um, all right, so this is kind of our – this is our last preseason edition of the podcast. The season starts next week. What they play on Wednesday, right? That's the – yeah. That's the day it all goes down out in the valley of the sun or whatever. What are they? Is is that what Arizona is? The Va- Phoenix, Death Valley, the Valley of the Sun, or is that just like their so. SB Nation blog? I I know I've heard <laughs> I was that, say, that somewhere. Is the- <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, out out in uh, out in the desert or whatever in Phoenix, um, tough right out of the gate. You got to go to Phoenix. You got to go to LA twice. Come home, play Charlotte, who beat the Mavs last year in Dallas, and then um, you got to play Miami, who of course went all the way to the finals. So. Uh, Isaac, I want to get your bold prediction coming out of the gates. What do the Mavs need to do to go five and zero, other than win every game? Uh, and what do they need to do to at least like have a winning record? I mean, because let's be real: if you play those five games in any given stretch of an NBA season, and you go like three and two, you're like, yes, thank God. And even if you go two and three, you're like, all right, well, you know, it's it is what it is. But uh, in a year like this, you don't want to be digging out of a hole. And especially without yeah. KP, you know, it's going to be tough. So what do they need to do to start the season strong as we head into next week? Yeah, I mean, you said it without KP. That's key. I don't, you know, I think Luka's going to be Luka. Uh, I'll just kind of lean into what I was saying at the beginning of the signs that we saw in the preseason. I think the surrounding guys need to shoot at that 40% clip. I think if we come out of the first five games and both Tim and Josh have both shot the ball at, you know, 39, 40, 41% from three. I think that'll be huge for them. You know, a, a Suns team that I feel like they, no matter how good they are, they always play Dallas really well. And, you know, first game with Chris Paul and all of that. But, you know, how how will, the, how will LeBron play for the Lakers? Will he beat on a minute restriction, you know, at the first part of the season? That is Christmas. So I'm assuming LeBron will be all ramped up and ready to play on Christmas Day. But, yeah, I mean – you get both the LA teams in your first uh, three games there, but I think capitalizing you know, on a game like Charlotte, you gotta you gotta do that. You know, a team that you don't expect to be maybe a playoff team. I don't want to slide him. I actually really like Lamelo. I think he he could be good in this league, uh, but and it should be a lot of fun to watch. But uh, you definitely got to take care of games like that. Those are the type of games like last year, Charlotte coming in and beating Dallas in you know in Dallas. You can't let that happen. So you have to you have to take care of business against some of these. I don't want to say smaller teams or whatever type of teams, you know, non-playoff teams, I guess. But, yeah, I, I think it's the shooting. It's the shooting around Luka and those guys. If we can shoot it, I think that's the that's the thing until KP comes back. Shoot, I mean, you obviously want them to always shoot that for the rest of the season, but especially until KP comes back, you need the surrounding shooters around Luka and the playmakers to really, really shoot it well. You need everyone to step up, man. You need everyone to step up, and especially this year with the weird – volume of games and like weird travel stuff and everything is so up in the air and there's going to be guys missing and everything. Um, 
taking care of business is that's just what you got to do. I mean, you you get 30 games against the East out of 72. Historically, you got to win 20 of those games in order to make the playoffs. And the East got better this year. The East got yeah. better. So it's going to be tough. Uh, to your point about minutes for the Lakers, LeBron and AD have only played in one of their three preseason games. LeBron played it wasn't 15. Very much, right? What? Yeah, they didn't play very much, right? Oh, no, yeah. LeBron played 15 minutes and Anthony Davis played 18. So hmm. they do have one more. They played a night. This is their last preseason game. They're 3-0. and It's been a lot of backups. Taylor Horton Tucker is like going to be a Hall of Famer if you log on to, to Lakers Twitter. I think um, he was the GM survey as the player that you'd start a franchise with. Yeah, yeah. Why did he get so many votes? It's really weird. I know. Um, but, uh, yeah, those two have played a combined 33 minutes in their first three preseason games. So maybe they play more tonight. I have no idea, but – um, you know the Lakers did just get done playing, so we'll see how uh, how involved they'll be early on. It's LeBron though, so he'll probably play like 46 minutes and score 80 points and just you know dominate as as he always does because he's he's one of the best for a reason. Um, all right, Isaac, this is good stuff, man. Preseason is over. We we survived. We made it through, and we're on to bigger and better things now. The regular season. Oh my God, five days away. Uh, thank you for joining me, man. I appreciate you. And thank you out there for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review. We're uh, going to be rolling these pods out for you all year long, baby. Uh, thank you to the Dallas Morning what News for do, generously baby. sponsoring. And we got a bunch of more podcasts in this, uh, in this Mavs Podcast Network, so feel free to check all of those out as well. You can find more of Isaac's stuff including a, a uh, profile or feature, whatever you want to call it, on Tyler Bay. Who knew that you needed 2,000 words about Tyler Bay in your life? Well, you do now, so uh, go check it out. That's at Mavs.com. You can also hear him daily on Locked on Mavericks. That's over with Nick on the Locked on Podcast Network. You can find him on Twitter at Isaac L. Harris. You can find me on Twitter at Bobby Corella. You can find my stuff, I guess, on Mavs Daily. And uh, that's it for us. We will see you next week on Mavs Daily. Daily.